Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Loading Erica's podcast. Five, four, three, two, one. Live from New York City, it's the Erica Finn Show. And your host who gets up close and personal with celebrities from the stage and beyond. Erica Finn. Hello, everyone. Welcome to tonight's show. I couldn't be more excited for tonight's guest. Tonight we have on a woman who's Tony-nominated for her role as Felicia Farrell in Memphis on Broadway. She recently played the role of the hilarious Annie Shepard in Broadway's It Should Have Been You, and you can currently find her in the role of Fontaine in Broadway's Les Miserables. Montego Glover, welcome to the show. How are you? It's Monday. It's your day off. (laughs) <laughs> Monday's my day off. I'm great. I'm so thrilled to be talking with you, though. How fun is this? This is great. Thank you so much. I'm psyched. Of course. Did you have a good weekend? I did. You know, Les Mis has uh, two performances on Saturdays and two performances on Sundays. So I had a great weekend. It was Les Mis all day, all the time, and Les Mis fans <laughs> all day, all the time. Uh, and it's great. It was terrific. Thanks. I don't know if you got a chance to sneak out at all. Um, of course, there was the Broadway flea market and auction on Sunday. Um I don't know if you saw that. I'm sure you saw that going on. Um, that was a cool event. Absolutely. It's always really exciting when the flea is in for the weekend because, you know, not only do we see fans per Broadway show at stage doors and in the houses, you know, all, all weekend, but then we have the flea, which really brings fans of Broadway from all over the country and the world together in a very sort of different way um, and gives us a chance as, you know, the the inhabitants, of Broadway to kind of get close to fans in, in that way and to sort of share some of the yummy swag that we walk away with after a show, you know? Yeah, I can't, yeah, I can't stress enough to like anyone listening out, like how, what a amazing event it is. And the auction, um, I don't know if you heard this yet, but um, I was at the auction last night and the Les Mis experience went for $10,000. That is They have someone that's going to come and be... Yeah, be on your show. I mean, that was the high, actually the highest bit. I mean, it's such a credit to like how how much this show means to people. It was like a younger girl, and yeah. you know, it's just it's there's no age limit. I mean, you know, from my mother to me to younger women, it's like the show has staying power like no other. It really, really does. You know, the the, the scope of the storytelling in Les Mis particularly is so timeless and far-reaching. We discover it every single time. I mean, you walk up that stage door after a performance, and like you said, it's every range of age, experience, walk of life. It truly is a global piece of art. Yeah, and it is true, yeah, because I remember I I went recently to see it. Um, I saw you in it. You were fantastic. Um, Oh, thank you. I remember being like 10 years old and singing There's a Castle on a Cloud, you know, and not really understanding what I'm singing as well, you know, and it's just, and singing off key, I should add. (laughs) But, But, yeah, I mean, it's just, I feel like, yeah, every time you see it, you can, as you mature, you go through life experience, you can experience it in a different way. But before we talk about Les Mis, I really, I have to start with It Should Have Been You because 
I loved that show. And I had a couple of your <laughs> co-stars on my show um, from It Should Have Been You. And that song, Love You Till the Day, um, <laughs> what it made me think of every time, and I wonder if you ever felt this way, but it really reminded me of, like, a hilarious skit from Saturday Night Live. Like, it was yes. just hysterical, that scene. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. We had so much fun on that piece, so much fun on that piece. I can't even describe it really, except that it was surreal and fun between Tyne Daly and David Hyde Pierce and Harriet Harris and Ed Hibbert and the rest of the gang. I mean, I, I was we were in heaven, and, and we were doing a musical comedy that was really quite touching and, and very um, heartwarming at the end of the day, you know? No pun intended. Yeah, it's hard to get all that combined yeah and it really was i mean it made me cry it always made me cry um but it made me laugh um hysterically um and one thing i always wondered was because once i saw it the first time and there's of course the big twist in the middle like i would Mm -hmm. get excited for whoever else i brought to the show the next time and for the whole audience to experience that twist you know like i'd be like impatient those couple minutes once they were like muscle top i'm like oh it's about to happen I was wondering, what is it like for you on stage? Like, you must, I was going through your mind sometimes. Um. Um, It was, what's interesting about It Should Have Been You and the way it's crafted, major credit, huge credit to David Hyde Pierce, who is a marvelous, incredible director. Just amazing. Is that in the telling of the story, comedy requires that you be so involved in the truth of things. That's why it's funny. Um, that you'd be so involved in the truth of things, that really we were on the ride as the characters. And so it it was always a surprise for us, too. Do you know what I'm saying? Like it never uh-huh. – we, 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 you can't get ahead of it, and you shouldn't be behind it. And so we were just – we were right there in the, in the present with it. Um, so in many ways, it was just as surprising to us as it was to the audience, except there was something truly gratifying about – realizing that, that practically no one in that audience was ahead of us. Nobody saw it coming. Because when Edward Hibbert comes out after the big twist and says, I didn't see that coming, and then there's another <laughs> roar of laughter, you go, great, great. Everybody's right here in the present with us. Now we can go to the quote-unquote second act of this play, you know? Mm-hmm. And it's funny how, and, and I was completely surprised the first time I saw it, and it's funny how once you know and you can pick up on little clues that something is off, you know, I, I still don't know that I would have guessed that, but I would have picked up on some, you know, but in the moment, the first time you're seeing it, it's, it just seems fine. It seems great. Yeah, you know, what's interesting is that people who, we have many, many fans of the show who came back and saw it a number of times. And they said, you know, when I see it a second time, the clues are actually there. It's just that when you see it the first time, you don't know that you're seeing the clues. You don't recognize them as these tiny, teeny little guideposts that are pointing away, and it's, again, a credit to David Hyde Pierce because it's well-crafted. The storytelling and the, the arcs of all of the characters and the overarching situation are all very well-crafted, so we don't leave anything uh, untouched, you know? Yeah, and I was, and I have to say, I was, I was bummed to see the, the show close. I mean, it was, Aww. in my mind, truly deserving of a long run. I mean, I can't say enough Thank good you. things about it. Um how did they how did they tell everyone that it was closing? Um we had 
um, company meeting um, called by our lead producer, Gerald Ross, and David High Pierce. And they said, we are doing everything we can, but we feel that we want to be good to all of you and good to the health of the show as it is now. And so we've chosen this date to close it. Um, and the beauty of it and the generosity of, of Daryl Roth specifically is that they chose a very, what we call a very generous closing date. It wasn't, we have to close the show, and so we're closing it in a week. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, I remember that. They gave a lot of notice to allow people to see it. Mm-hmm. Quite a bit, yeah, quite a bit of notice, at least six weeks, I think. And so it was, it gave us an opportunity to say goodbye to the show in a way that felt not so much like heartbreak, but more like a gentle, a gentle goodbye. Um, yeah, we were sorry to see it go to really because every possible comment we could have gotten from the people who were experiencing the show was, "Oh my God, this how heartwarming, how lovely! I have to, I have to come again. I have to bring people." Do you know what I'm saying? So it was, it was a kind of piece that people wanted to share. Um, and I don't think it hurt that we told the story in one act without intermission. I think it actually helps helps the rhythm of our show and the rhythm of our storytelling, which also made it very appealing because, you know, you could really come in and take full advantage of, like, a really light, enjoyable evening at the theater. Yeah, and it's great. I took my mom to see it. It's a great mother-daughter show. It's, yeah, <sighs> it's. it was a great show. And I, I still yeah. don't understand because I talk to a lot of people about, you know, shows that close earlier than they should and it doesn't seem yeah. uh, there's there's a little bit of just the luck of the draw you know it's sometimes i, I, mm-hmm. I yeah, was wondering what your you know, feeling was on, on that yeah it's it, sometimes there's no rhyme or reason you know we were doing everything we could to reach people to make sure that they knew it was there that we were there that we were accessible the show is accessible um um, you make sure that you know the way shows are marketed these days that there's you know, a presence online and a presence you know, um, on, on the street, as they say, you know, like we did everything we could. And sometimes, you know, when they call this thing, this crazy thing called show business, really, sometimes there's no rhyme or reason, no rhyme or reason. And all we can say at the end of the day, again, no pun intended, is um, we did everything we could and everything we should have to support and um, make the show visible, make it accessible to people. It was never like this tiny little show that's all the way, you know, out of the way, off the beaten path on Broadway at a theater that's impossible to get to, and you have to go down 16 elevators and turn five corners, you know what I mean, and knock three times and turn around on yourself, and then you can come. (laughs) You know what I mean? We made sure that we were accessible, the show was accessible, and did everything we could. And so when you get a closing notice after putting in every bit of effort to make the piece and to promote the piece, when you get a closing notice, you have to say peacefully to yourself as a company, as a crew, as a producing team, we did everything we could. Sometimes it really is just show business, you know? And it can be a rough business. It can be rough. Even if you have a beautiful, fantastic show that people should be seeing that should have an enormously long run. So you, of course, have moved on to Les Miserables in an incredible <laughs> role. Um, did you get a chance to take any time off between shows? I did not. That is sort of the kind of wonderful, marvelous, crazy, yet, again, this crazy, you know, thing called show business. Um, part of it is that I, 
um, realized, well, I, I got the offer to play Fontaine um, in my last week, in our last week of It Should Have Been You. And so I closed It Should Have Been You on a Friday. Um, I had a concert date um, out west um, through the weekend. So Saturday, Sunday, and Monday I was doing the concert. And Tuesday morning at 11 a.m. the following Tuesday, I started rehearsals for Living It Throb. And that's been that. Wow. Yes. So how how does that work in terms of how many rehearsals do you get before you have to go live? Because obviously the show is already live. Um, so how does that work for you? Um, yeah, it's like when uh, we were given myself, Alfie, and um, Alex Fink, who plays Cassette. Um, we all rehearsed together because we were coming into the show together. Um, mm-hmm. Rehearsed mm-hmm. for three weeks, and then we opened in the show. Wow. So what is yep. that? I mean, you that's a whole 180. We went from like light and, and funny and touching to an intense, powerful <laughs> Broadway production, right? Like an all-time classic show. I mean, the title says it all, right? The title says it all. <laughs> <laughs> what's the adjustment period like? How do you, you know, what's that like? Well, in this case, you know, there's on, there honestly wasn't time for an adjustment. It was like, this is in front of me now. <laughs> do this today this is in front of me now, do this today, you know, like it really was a whirlwind. It was a whirlwind. Um, and the beauty of it is that I, I feel like I've been very, very lucky in my career that I've been able to um, keep such a healthy mix of kinds of work and work in different genres, um, which I like to do. Uh, so it has been a, honestly an easy adjustment. It's just a different kind of storytelling you know it's a different story it's a different person it's a different time in history or in in the lives of people um and and a different um approach you know Lemis is a is a sweeping epic story you know we really start in a place and we we tell a story that takes about two and a half two hours and 45 and then we end in a place um and it's a lot of moving parts in 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 ways that are different from it should have been you um and so it, it's, it's uh, what do you say, how do I say, it's having other kinds of fun in my sandbox. It's exactly what I want to be doing, you know? No, absolutely. Um, when was the first time, we, you know, I was saying at the beginning how, you know, I was singing the song when I was 10 years old. When was the first time <laughs> you were introduced to Les Miserables? Oh, I think I was probably 12. Mm-hmm. And uh, in, um, what is it, middle school choir, and those wonderful, you know, SATB, soprano, alto, tenor, bass um, arrangements of musicals. And when Liniz arrived, it was it was the rage <laughs> for uh-huh. you know, middle school choirs all over the country. <laughs> so, you know, the people's song sung by, you know, thin-voiced 11- and 12-year-olds was like, everything just being able to you know sing the music together um was it but that was it probably about 11 or 12 years old um in you know choir class uh working on this music from a, from a thing called the Les Miserables and had you seen it um had you seen the production before you uh no before no, like this year you know oh oh before this year <laughs> yes <laughs> <laughs> Yes, yes, 
ideas. I mean, honestly, the show is 30 years old, which is so tremendous sure. and just going strong. It's just an incredible presence in the theater, in the music theater, in art. And <clears throat> what I think is interesting is that over the years, depending on, you know, where you are and, and what you've been doing in your career, you've come in contact with it, either as, you know, um, uh, a participant in the theater, like just going to see it, or as a member of the company. And what's really interesting to me is that as long as the show's been in existence, I've never worked on it. I've seen it and worshipped it as a, you know, masterpiece uh, for all this time, but I've never worked on the piece, never on tour, never, you know, any other revival or regional production, none of it. I've never worked on it as an actress. So this is specifically and um, terrifically interesting for me and exciting, really, um, because I'm working on Les Mis as an actress for the first time, you know, in 30 years. And you're also, this is also in recent history, cause, uh, the first role that you're stepping into that other people played. For Memphis, and it should have been you, you originated those roles. Yes. Do you feel more of a pressure, or how is it different, you know, stepping into this role as opposed to the others? Um, you know, replacing is a little different because you're stepping into a machine that has already um, had all its, its kinks worked out. Um, so there's less trial mm-hmm. and error um, that has to be engaged when you're creating a role. Um, and that can be really helpful because someone's already done all the stuff that's going to bang you up and hurt you and you know what I mean don't do that don't try that don't do that here's what works so it, it actually makes it a little safer and a little easier for you in that way so that all you really have to do is understand the world of the play understand how this production whatever it is you're working on works and then find a, a solid and clear place to be you know, honor the work, always honor the, the character and the storytelling and the arc that you're a part of, and then settle into the space that's made for you. And settle in fully, which is great. It's not like you have to shrink away or keep your creative spirit from flying by doing it. It just means you have a very specific and safe place to be in the show. And it's great. What's wonderful, too, about Les Mis is that because it's uh, shepherded by a, sort of a collective of directors who all have the same vision, um, it makes it they they are able to visit upon the show much more frequently than than other long running productions uh, are visited upon, and so they can tailor some things for you. They can cater some movements for you. For example, for me, for Fontaine, there are just a couple of adjustments we made in um, some blocking patterns, or a couple of adjustments we we made for um, scene work for acting beats because I have a slightly different presence on stage or a different temperament or different rhythm than uh, previous actresses before. Um, And that has been very, very helpful. It's the little things like that, the little turns that that give you just a bit more light um, and really uh, bring what you have as an actress or an actor forward in a role. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, because I saw it twice in recent, I saw it right before. Before we start, I saw it with, um, and I'm going to, I might botch his name up, Ramin Kirimlu. And then I yep. saw it with, you know, you and Alfie. And, yeah, everyone brings, and that's what I love about it, too. It's like you can keep going back and seeing it. 
um, with new cast members, and you're seeing a slightly different show because the interpretations are different. And I love, I love the vulner, the real vulnerability and like sweetness that you bring to the role. Like you just have such a Thank sweetness you. about you. Um, <laughs> I, you. I love it. I really love it. Um, but um, I did see on your Twitter feed though there are some pranks going on on set. <laughs> so it might be serious on stage, but off. Um, in particular, you and Earl Carpenter, who plays uh, Javert. So if he is evil in real life, as he is on the show, I mean, I saw a picture of a little pony with a fork in it. So why you talking? <laughs> oh God! First of all. The company of Les Mis is really a, they are really some outstandingly talented, truly like phenomenal people. They just they really have this thing firmly in their hands and they just get on stage every night or afternoon and put it on the deck for our audiences. It's truly amazing. It's just great to listen to as you're going from, you know, change to change backstage or crossing or sometimes running at top speed. Um from place to place. Um, it's just thrilling. I actually stood off stage yesterday during the matinee and watched the final battle at the barricade, which I hadn't seen since I opened in the show. And I just thought, this is this scene is like people, you know, dying for their cause at a barricade, and it's heartbreaking and beautiful at the same time. Um, mm-hmm. And it's 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 just a testament to how marvelous the company is. And then of course, after the final the final battle, Javert comes in and, and looks around to see if, you know, Valjean has resurfaced and if he can continue to hunt him. Speaking of Javert, yes, Earl Carpenter <laughs> <laughs> You know, Earl would like to think that he's, you know he would like to think that he's, you know, curmudgeon and, you know, he's you know, he barely wants to smile or anything like that. But he's actually a big old teddy bear and um, it's kind of the great thing about his Javert, the fact that he plays Javert, is that he's really this very um, engaging and collaborative actor who is, cares very much about his work in the piece and the work of others. Um, he honors the piece very much. I think he understands Javert in a way that uh, some actors um, miss. He he really is, is finds the nuanced things uh, in Javert's personal story and his arc and how they affect what he's doing in this play and I think those are very important things and so it makes um, his work really on stage really engaging and wonderful of course off stage he's a nut a total nut and so <laughs> you know <laughs> <laughs> you know, we quip back and forth. We quip, quip, quip all the time. And then, you know, I come back to my dressing room and my little pony is hanging in my bag. And, you know, he's left his mark. You know, he's just coming <laughs> for me. <laughs> yeah, that was a funny picture. So there's an ongoing yeah. little battle, I guess, right? So what yeah. what pranks have you done to him? Well, there have been a couple of, you know, times. I, I tease him all the time because he's, so, he's very tall and he's very long. And so he has this way where he can just sort of like – all of a sudden he could just be standing next to you and you don't realize he's there and he does it to me all the time. Um, I call it the, the Earl Carpenter creep around. And so um, I've been been able to successfully, you know, creep up on him a few times, which has been really fun, very satisfying. Um, and I've got a couple, a couple of small pranks planned for him. Uh, yeah. That I can't reveal right now because they're, I'm, I'm acting them carefully. You know, he's, he's a smart one. I have to really well, take care, but yeah, I, I you know. All right, well, you got to post them on your Twitter feed so we can totally. we can all see what. Yeah, 
Because I was wondering what kind of message was trying to be sent. I like the fork and the, and I was like, where did he get that My Little Pony? <laughs> you know, it was a gift. It's a gift from um, my previous show that I keep in my dressing room. Like the crew from It Should Have Been You gave me that. And so, <laughs> you know, I'm on stage, you know, dying or doing something, and he's, you know, in my dressing room, just, you know, sending, leaving me a message, you know. Um, yeah. Have you noticed a difference, um, speaking of gifts and stuff like that, like between fans on this show, since it's such a, you know, like we're saying a 30-year show that's been on and off Broadway as opposed to like your other shows? Like is there, have you found a difference in some of the fans of the show? Um, In a word, no, because people who love the theater and love a particular piece in the theater have the same kind of enthusiasm and the same kind of, you know, brightness and excitement in their eyes. Um when we meet them at the stage door. Um, I will say, though, with Linus Robb, because the show has such um, an iconic position, I tend to see a lot of fans from across the globe, always, consistently at our stage door and beyond, um, which is great. It just affects yeah, people cool. from from all over. And so I, I realized early on, and I, I'm going to, it'll be a month on Tuesday that I've been in the show already, um, I've realized that people plan a trip to New York City around seeing Les Miserables because it's on Broadway. Um, mm. I wonder how's that. Really incredible. Which is not to say it's not happening for other Broadway shows, but for this one because it's um, it's older than some of the other shows on Broadway. Most of the other shows on Broadway right now, it. There is a there is a reach that it has. There is a pull that it has that really brings people from clear across the globe for the express purpose of seeing Les Misérables, and that is truly outstanding. It's and it's deserving of it. I mean, it's just yeah. I love I love the show. Love it. I'll yeah, definitely be back that. to see it again. Um, I was wondering. It's Monday, so yes. it's your day off. So what are you up to? What do you like to do on your days off? Well, besides talk to me. <laughs> you know, I get up and call Erica right away, speak to her. And then, um, uh, you know, days off are dark for the show, but I work in TV and film and commercials, voiceover, so it's still a work day for me um, in that way. So today I'm speaking with you. I'm doing a few things at home, but then I have, uh, a VO session and then another audition uh, for a commercial and then, you know, off to run a few more errands, maybe pick up the drag cleaning that's been there for a week. Um, <laughs> so, um, you know, maybe see a friend or two if, if we have time and then sort of get back to my home office and, and um, plan for the week, you know, get get things in order so that I can uh, successfully move through the week. Um, the only way all of the things on my plate get done is if I sit down and really sketch out the week on Monday evenings. Um, and it's good because it gives me a chance to just sit still and, and rest, which I need to do, but also um, gets me gets my thoughts and my um, tools ordered for the week because it's, it's nonstop once it starts again, you know? No, definitely. And do you find, yeah. I mean, with the schedule you have, are most of your friends fellow actors, or do you have a lot of friends outside the industry? Um, you know, it's a healthy your, mix, yeah. I'm proud to say. Mm-hmm. It's a healthy mix, yeah. Yeah. Um, 
some what we call some good old fashioned nine to fivers, and then you got some some uh, theater types in there, you got some actor types in there, um, and, and people who work on the other side of you know uh, the table, people who are in production for television and film, or people who are makeup artists, or people who are you know um, physical trainers or therapists or things like that. You know, um, not everybody just because they work in the theater doesn't mean they're all actors. It means that you know. Some people are technicians and some people are creative types. And then there's the, the you know, regular Joes and Janes, which is good for me. I like that. A question I ask all my guests, what's one thing you would like to tell your 15-year-old self? You're totally going to get there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and You're you have. Totally <laughs> <laughs> You have. That's great. Um, so I have a little game called Speed Through, and we have 60 seconds to, dr- to try and get through 10 questions. You think okay. you can do it? <laughs> right? All right, mm-hmm. here we go. Um, yeah. Morning person or night owl? Morning. What did you have for breakfast today? Cereal. Biggest pet peeve? Littering. Three things you can't live without? Gummy bears, wine, water. If you had a betta fish, what would you name him? Sorry. Sorry, what's that? Sorry. Sorry, okay. <laughs> New York City or L.A.? New York City. Oh, yeah. Jimmy Fallon or Jimmy Kimmel? <laughs> Jimmy Fallon. <laughs> <laughs> if you were going to dinner at Alfie's house, what would you bring? Uh, apple juice. He loves apple juice. Oh, really? One word that sums up your experience thus far in Les Miserables. Dreamy. One way you live life to the fullest every day. Say again? One way you live life to the fullest every day. Oh, take a walk. We did it. Ten questions, 60 seconds. Woo! Oh, my gosh. Exciting. Uh, Montigo, thank you so much for being on the show today. This has been so much fun. I, I really appreciate you being here. Of course. It's my pleasure to be here. Thank you so much for inviting me. What a thrill. I'm sure that we'll see one another again if we don't have a chance to talk again. That would be wonderful. Absolutely. And everyone, go see Montego Glover and the rest of the amazingly talented cast in Les Miserables. It is currently playing at the Imperial Theater on Broadway. Thanks to everyone for tuning in. We appreciate it, and we will see you all again next week. You have been listening to The Erica Finn Show. We would love to hear from you. Contact the show with any guest requests or comments at Show at gmail.com. And don't forget to follow us on Twitter. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.